Hi, everybody. I'm Patrick McEnroe, and this is Holding Court. Thanks to Raya Eyewear for sponsoring this episode of Holding Court. I've been wearing Raya since last year. During the pandemic, I started teaching more lessons than ever before, especially outside. Raya are by far the best sunglasses for tennis I've ever used. Check them out at RayaEyewear.com. That's R-I-A-Eyewear.com. And use the code PATRICK to get $20 off your first pair. They are total game changers. All right, everyone, time for our edition of Holding Court here. It's a Tennis Tuesday time. July 19th is when I'm recording this in the evening. This will be out tomorrow on Tuesday the 20th, so I hope you enjoy it. And, uh, you know, listen, I asked you in the Twitter sphere what you wanted to talk about, and overwhelmingly it was a tweet just in the last couple of days from Mr. Stefanos Tsitsipas, uh, talking about on-court coaching and suggesting, not suggesting, actually saying in his tweet that he believes that on-court coaching should be allowed at the pro level on every single point. Uh, he says, uh, which others have said, including Serena's coach, uh, Patrick Mortagalu, that when he got uh, called out for coaching at the U.S. Open final a couple of years ago when Serena was uh, losing to Naomi Osaka, that he got a coaching violation, which he said, and then Stefanos. By the way, they're very tight, the two of them, okay? So there's no, um, that's not coincidence, okay? That the two of them are very close. Sitsipas has spent many years at the academy there in the south of France. Mortagalu is part of the team. So clearly, uh, Pimo, as we call him, has been pushing for this for a while because he got called out on it um, for illegal coaching, and what they both said, well, everybody does it, uh, so that makes it okay. No, it doesn't make it okay, okay? It does not make it okay, even if other people do do it. Many coaches have been accused of doing it. Many do it. Uh, that doesn't make it right. I went back and forth on this. I was trying to play both sides of it, thinking to myself, you know, maybe there's some merit to it in the overall best interest of the game, uh, more, you know, better for television presentation. They've done it on the women's tour where the coach can come out once a set. The players can call him out. They've tried it in the qualifying of the majors uh, where the players can actually walk to the side uh, of the fence, you know, on the outer courts and, and talk to their coach. And, I mean, here's the bottom line, okay? The bottom line is... And I've spent many years now, and there was probably a time when I said, I'm for it. But I spent many years watching it unfold and seeing the positives of it, the negatives of it. It doesn't matter, okay? It's not make, it doesn't make tennis any bigger. It doesn't make tennis any more exciting having the freaking coach on the side. It makes for some entertainment sometimes at, a, at some tour-level events. And I'm going to say this for the WTA Tour – because they didn't, it, it was never tried out in any significant fashion on the men's tour. So I'm just saying the WTA tour because they still allow it. And so you'd have those moments, you know, where the player would yell at the coach or the coach would yell at the player. They'd storm off and, you know, sort of entertaining TV. But at the end of the day, I'm like, you know what? People tune in to watch the best players in the world, period, end of story. And they do it mostly at the majors, okay? So the other events, unfortunately, they don't do it as much. So the tours, understandably, sort of looking for ways to bring more eyeballs, more interest. And I'm in the television business now. I'm at ESPN. 
you know, that the, the, there's no ratings for even the Masters events that uh, are anything to, to be significant, which unfortunately is part of the reason why ESPN get out of that business in this past year, which sucks for me because I love going to uh, Indian Wells and Miami and Cincinnati and Canada and so on and so forth. Uh, but <clears throat> people watch, for the most part, Wimbledon, the U.S. Open. Certainly there's other events around the world that resonate more. Do any of them watch? Okay, any of them. Do they? any of them watch because of the freaking coach? No, no. They watch because it's Roger Federer, because it's Serena Williams, because it's Naomi Osaka, Ashley Barty. Whomever it is, okay, the coach can. You know, the coach is a nice story. It's a side story. We always tell the backstory of the coach. We always show him on TV. It's always an interesting part of what's happening. But nobody is watching the coach, okay? They're watching the players. And uh, I even asked my daughter about. It. She's a 15 year old. She's a tennis player. I said, "What do you think?" You think, no, absolutely not. She, they're supposed to be like the younger generation. It's supposed to be different. Well, no. She said, no, it's supposed to be a tennis. is supposed to be about figuring things out for yourself on the court. I'm sitting there listening. Yeah, okay. That's exactly 100% right. Oh, well, tennis is the only sport, Sitsipas says, that doesn't do it. No shit, Sherlock. Okay, Exactly. There you go. You just nailed, you just hit the nail on the head. It's the only sport. Let's keep it that way. It's the only sport where the men and the women play on an uh, equal footing at the biggest tournaments in the world, meaning equal presentation. I, I know we have arguments about this off and on, scheduling and so on. But the bottom, the, all the grand slams are played together. Okay. Do they play the WNBA final the same time as the NBA final? Do they play the uh, soccer, uh, you know, because I'm saying women's soccer because that's big. The same time, the men, well, they, maybe they should, they should play the women's differently because they're more popular. But uh, the, if golf is the best example, okay? The golf tours, the men and women are completely separate. How's that working out? Okay, so it's for tennis should embrace the fact that it's different, that the men and women play together, which tennis is embracing, continues to. There's bumps along the way, no doubt about it. But it's the, the events that host the men and the women are by far, by far the most successful of all the tennis events on the planet. <clears throat> and the fact that there's no coaching allowed, oh, well, uh, anybody, everybody coaches anyway, and it's just always, it's, no, 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 no. So police it better, they, and they do police it. You know, Sitsipas's dad is the one doing all the freaking coaching. He's coaching nonstop, and he gets nailed for it. And actually, we were discussing this in the green room at, at Wimbledon, me and some of my colleagues. Why, why, why doesn't Sitsipas or anybody who's coaching, for that matter, who they get a warning, they should get a double fine the next tournament they do it. They should get then, if they do it, you know, multiple fourth time or whatever it is, they should get suspended. How about that? Okay? Then you'll see no more coaching. Going, they, they, you know, how about how about someone in the tennis world actually takes a stand on some stands up and says, no, no, we're not going to do because everybody's protecting their little piece of the pie. I'm so over it. I'm so sick of it. Let's get can can we get together and, and do Nick Kyrgios of all people gets right back into it and and says absolutely not. We should not do this. I mean, you got to say you know, one thing you say about Kyrgios. I mean, we've we've 
We've come after him plenty of times when he's deserved it. But he stands up for what's right. Okay? He's, this guy's got a backbone. Okay, he sometimes tanks and sometimes, you know, he's not the fittest guy on the planet for what he's doing. But he's a smart dude. Okay, I've been, I've been spending some time with him uh, at the Labor Cup. He's a great dude, actually, too. I don't, I don't like the fact that he, he doesn't have himself uh, totally there all the time, mentally and physically, but, you know, who am I to say? I mean, I, I, I will say what I think, which is that if he was in better shape physically, he'd be better. Well, by the way, he says that, too. You know, he's, he's totally aware of that. So when well, he gets injured in big tournaments because he's not fit enough. But, okay, well, that's his decision. He made that decision. But at least I appreciate the fact that he acknowledges it. He says it. And then things like this come up, and he gets into the fray. He's not afraid to get right into the fray uh, and um, express his opinion, which I think is the opinion of most people in the tennis world. Uh, the other thing people, of course, uh, brought up on Twitter was Naomi Osaka. I tweeted Naomi Osaka after the Netflix thing came out. Uh, I have not seen all of it. I've just seen little bits of it. Uh, it looks pretty compelling. I've read a couple articles about it, but I haven't actually sat down and watched the whole thing, which, I, of course, I will do. Uh, and, you know, she just deserves props. I mean, that's just, you know, I'm, we're not going to let this thing on the Holding Court podcast just, uh, you know, the, what happened with her at the French Open and pulling out a woman. We're not going to let that lie because this tennis needs to still continue to don't, – don't just – don't brush this aside, tennis. Don't keep – don't brush it aside and be like, oh, you know, Osaka will just go back to doing – no, no. Address it. Let's address it for all the players, whatever level they're at. And um, don't tell me it's unfair if she doesn't have to do the normal press. That is such bullshit. I, I can't take it, okay? Because there's so much that's not completely uh, the same as far as how players are handled, whether it comes to getting practice courts or whether it comes to how big's their room when they get a hotel room or how do they get a, <laughs> do they get a special car to take them to the, instead of getting on the bus. i never forget my first years I was in Japan to play there. And uh, I went downstairs with my buddy Richie Renneberg, who was a solid player, good, still a good friend of mine. We grew up playing juniors together. And anyway, we were we went downstairs to get the car, uh, the uh, to get on the bus to go to the tournament. We had a bus schedule, and um, we saw like a car, you know, for the from the tournament. So it was just sitting outside, like outside the entrance of the hotel. So we went up to him and we said, uh, you know, could we get a ride? Thinking, you know, maybe we'll just get in the car and get a ride. No, no, superstar car. Superstar car. <laughs> the car was for, you know, one of the top-ranked players. So this whole idea that it's an unfair advantage to, for Osaka if she doesn't have to do, like, a full press conference after every match is the biggest bunch of crap I think I've ever heard, okay? Figure out a way to deal with, to help her deal with whatever issues she has. Naomi, listen, you're one of the biggest stars in tennis. You're supporting our tour. You're making a lot of money. Uh, you deserve it because you've earned it. Um, and so with that, not, not because you're making a lot of money. I, should even take, I, don't even, I shouldn't even have said that. You have responsibility as one of the top players to speak to the press. So let's figure out a way for you to do that. Maybe it's a one-on-one, maybe it's a pool reporter, maybe it's a, a Zoom call. I mean, every single interview we've done on television in the last year and a half has been remotely. Every single one. 
nobody cares. I mean, the public still gets to see the players. I mean, you know, oh, we didn't get to sit down and talk to players. Who freaking cares? The players go out there and play. That's what we want them to do. That's what the sporting fan wants to see. This episode is being brought to you by Raya Eyewear. Over the last few years, a growing concern of mine has been the long-term effects of overexposure to UV rays from my extended time on court in the sun, you know, following that little yellow ball all over the globe. Well, I was also just tired of squinting on sunny days, but my fear was always that wearing sunglasses to protect my eyes would affect the way I hit the ball. Well, last year, especially during the pandemic last summer, I came across Raya, and I'm so, so glad that I did. Raya is changing the way tennis players see the game and protect their most important performance asset, their vision. All of their eyewear is handcrafted in Italy and built specifically to enhance ball contrast and provide protection from those harmful UV rays. There's no question that they help me see the ball better, they relax my eyes in the sun, and they've become an essential part of my tennis experience. Check them out at RiaEyewear.com. That's R-I-A-Eyewear.com. Use the code PATRICK to get $20 off your first pair. I promise you will love these sunglasses. This episode of Holding Court is being brought to you by True. That's T-R-U, the lifestyle beverage. Absolutely amazing. Go to drinktrue.com to learn more. I suggest you try out the True Sampler, 30% off with the code PATRICK. That's what the sporting fan wants to see. They want to see Novak Djokovic try to win the Olympics. And apparently he's going, by the way, which is another thing that came up on my Twitter feed. Uh, I'm surprised he's going because after Wimbledon, he won Wimbledon. He said, well, I think it's 50-50 if I'm going to go. I thought, okay, he's, he's, he's going to pull the plug on the Olympics, which I would not have blamed him for at all. He didn't, you know, there's going to be no fans. You got to fly all the way, you know, halfway around the world. You got to deal with the protocols of the Olympics, which are going to be, I mean, unbelievably strict. Uh, then you got to turn around right after that and try to win the slam. Okay. And win the U.S. Open, which I think is going to be a lot tougher than people think for Djokovic, just because I think there's other guys that can, that can pick him off at the U.S. Open way more so than Wimbledon. Wimbledon, there was like a no-brainer. There was maybe one or two guys that had a chance against him. Uh, at the Open, there's more. There's, you know, there's a handful of guys that could beat him on a hard court, okay? Uh, Sitsipas, Medvedev, you know, team if he gets healthy again. Uh, obviously, Nadal. Um, you know, Federer, I doubt it because it doesn't look like he's going to be at 100%. Obviously, we, we, we wonder what's going to happen with Roger. He's just decided to pull out of the Olympics. Team pulled out, but we knew that was coming. Uh, I don't know if Roger... I don't think Roger has one more in him. I just don't. I hope he, I hope he proves us wrong again. I hope. Actually, I'm, I'm not even that worried about if he wins another one. I just want to see him back playing at the highest level, which I thought he... I thought he was on the cusp of doing it at Wimbledon, and then uh, it didn't happen and against Hercotch, and it was, you know, he knew it. And so he was... He was in the middle of the match. He was like, this ain't happening. And never quite seen that before. You see the, you know, you've seen those top players throw in bad performances. I mean, Djokovic lost to Sonego uh, like 2-1 and one last fall. I think it was somewhere, maybe it was Vienna. Uh, so, you know, they'll still throw in a couple of clinkers where 
you know, they're half assing it, so to speak, or you know what I'm saying. They're not, even at the Masters, that happened. Djokovic, uh, when he lost to Medvedev. Uh, f- there's been moments for all that. I'm, I'm just, I'm not picking on Djokovic. Do- don't start tweeting me, Djokovic fans, because I just told you he's, you know, going to break the record and he's going to end up being the greatest of all time. So just settle down. You know what I'm saying. The, the Dow's done it too. They've all done it. The Dow's lost in hardcore tournaments and usually never on clay. Um, all right, let's see who else uh, texted me or not texted me, came to me on Twitter because there were a few other. I think I covered the coaching thing. Uh, someone asked me about Corda, Sebastian Corda. Uh, listen, I've said it before on air. I think he's going to be the number one American within probably another six to nine months. Uh, gets a, just a little stronger physically, a little more pop on the serve, just a little more physicality to his unbelievably, unbelievably good ball striker, great court sense, no real weakness in his game, and the serve's just not as much of a strength as it needs to be for his size. I mean, he moves really well, um, but at 6'5", I think he is. He's not going to be in a lightning fast, but he's fast, and he, he's... I love his composure. Absolutely love his composure. Uh, what did he break back like five or six times in that match against Hatchinoff in the in that fifth set at Wimbledon? Uh, Jensen Brooksby, by the way, came through and got to the finals in Newport. He's a twenty-year-old from Sacramento who won Kalamazoo, the U.S. National Boys Championship, a couple of years ago, and then beat Burditch at the Open. And Burditch was on like one leg at that point, and then he subsequently retired shortly thereafter. And he had some injury issues. The kid uh, won a few challengers this year, like dominating on multiple surfaces. So he's going to be, you know, maybe Corda and, and, and Brooksby may be the best two American players. Uh, you know, Tiafo, we'll see what he can do this summer. Uh, obviously, I still have high hopes for Opelka, although he's disappointed me a little bit in the big tournaments, but I still think with his game and his his movement and size, he's a serious threat. Fritz, we hope he gets back to 100%. Uh, some COVID stuff. Coco Goff test, apparently tested positive for COVID. I have no idea if she was vaccinated or not. I mean, you're not a, no, nobody's supposed to. I mean, people want to tell you they are. I'm vaccinated, but people don't have to tell you that. Um, I mean, even at ESPN, when we were going through all our protocols to be able to make the trip to Wimbledon, uh, we weren't our boss. I uh, remember Disney owns ESPN. Okay. But it's Disney policy. Apparently it was at that point. And maybe it's going to change at some point. Uh, they're not even allowed to ask if you've been vaccinated. Can't even ask you. Now, obviously a lot of work, work establishments, workforces are think are looking at this and schools. I just saw some schools. Uh, I think it was Indiana university had a case. I think it went to the Supreme court where they basically said it's legal for them to say you have to be vaccinated. I ran into a parent, a friend of mine at our tennis academy, talking about uh, their kid got their, they got a letter from their school. It's a private school in Manhattan that uh, the, all the kids are going to have to be vaccinated to go back to school. So this is going to turn into, uh, you know, continue to be a, a political um, uh, issue, hot button issue. I'm not going to go there too much. It's just, you know, this isn't what this is about, but uh, I'm vaccinated. So there you have it. So uh, what else do I got here? Let's see. 
Um, coaching for players in game. We covered that. Common sense, somebody says. Um, scrolling through my Twitter feed here just in case I missed something that I wanted to discuss. Yeah, th- by the way, thank you, everybody, for chiming in. Because, you know, I want to hear what you people want me to talk about. I mean, my tennis, uh, my tennis Tuesdays are big, and you guys are listening to them. So I appreciate that. By, by the way, Raya Eyewear. I sent out a tweet about them the other day, the glass, because I've been teaching a lot since I got back from Wimbledon on the court in the sun. Phenomenal. You got to get them. If you play tennis outside, I'm telling you, they're like a lifesaver. Totally changing um, the way I go about, you know, even if I think I were playing competitive tennis, I still think I might actually wear them. I mean, I wear them, but teaching and, you know, running around a little bit, uh, obviously, if you're playing at a pro level, you you know I'm not sure that uh, I got to be honest if I would wear the glasses, but I I don't they're pretty comfortable, and maybe if I had a little strap on. I mean, I haven't you know I'm not exactly running that fast. Many people say I never ran fast anyway, even when I was a professional, which is probably true. Um, but they're absolutely awesome, so you gotta you gotta check them out. Raya Eyewear. Uh, what else do I have to tell you? We're already up to about 20 minutes here, so we're rolling through this pretty easily. By the way, I've got James Blake, who I interviewed for the podcast. He's coming up on Thursday. You're going to love it. I mean, he's obviously James Blake is awesome. Uh, joined our ESPN team very, very uh, into, into having him on the team. You know, he played for me in Davis Cup, sort of New York, Connecticut guy, uh, classy guy. Obviously played a lot uh, more recently than most of us at ESPN, so he's got his pulse on a lot of the players. Uh, just great to have him on the team, so happy to have him. Uh, he'll be on. I read an interview him a couple months ago. So the interview with him is more, you know, his life story, how he got into tennis, fascinating stuff with him and his dad. You know, his dad passed away from cancer when he was pretty young. Great guy. Uh, his mom is still around. His brother, of course, played uh, at Harvard as well. So love James, and I think you're going to really enjoy that podcast uh, on Thursday. So I think we covered, uh, there's a few other tidbits I got here. I can't get to all of them, uh, but I appreciate everyone chiming in on Twitter. That's where I do most of my stuff. I've been trying to get my Instagram game up, but it's kind of weak. I mean, it's okay, but Twitter seems to be where most of my fans hang out. So, oh, match fixing investigation at Wimbledon. You know, I haven't heard a lot about that. I mean, I saw that there was a couple of matches under suspicion. Uh, one, I think, in doubles and one in singles. So they're, they're going to keep a pretty tight uh, lid on that. On like, you know, I don't have any idea who that is. Um, so, but anyway, if we get more information, I'll certainly chime in. Look, tennis is in a tennis is vulnerable. I mean, that's just the bottom line. Um, and there's been a lot of cases of match fixing at the lower levels because those players make basically no money. And if someone comes to them and says, you know, I'll give you twenty grand, not necessarily even to lose the match, but to lose a set. You know, they're, they I mean, they're bet on sets. They bet on game different. I mean, all sorts of stuff. So. Tennis is, unfortunately, is, uh, it's fairly easy for a, a tennis player. I hate to say this, but it's true. I mean, it's fairly easy for a player to manipulate the score. When you're a high-level player, it's, um, it's not that difficult to do that. 
I mean, we do that in exhibition matches all the time. That's part of doing an exhibition. You win the first, I'll win the second, then we'll sort of play out the third. Oh, okay. If you're two players at a high level, you could do it. Now, if players are cavorting together, that I've never heard happen in a, one of these gambling situations. So that, that's why it's a little different in uh, you know, those beautiful exos. So anyway, I hope you enjoyed this edition of Holding Court. Remember, this later this week, we'll have the Thursday with James Blake. Hope you'd enjoy, I hope you have enjoyed this edition of my Tennis Tuesday here on Holding Court. Holding Court with Patrick McEnroe is powered by Mudhouse Media.